Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water, the podcast that examines a passage of scripture and asks the questions, what does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, A Light Has Dawned, we're looking at the story of Jesus beginning his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23, and how it reminds us that God's timing, though enigmatic, is always perfect. Let's get started. Timing is a tricky thing. Everything requires specific timing. Everything from plants growing to knowing when it's your turn to say something in a conversation. And the only way you'll know that something was done at exactly the right time is after the fact. We often encourage each other about how God's timing is perfect. But if anything, it's the most mysterious of all. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So how do we trust something we cannot understand? Well, maybe the whens and whys of God's ways will remain a mystery, but at least when we examine the life and ministry of Jesus, we may grow more comfortable with putting our faith in the divine timeline. Today's scripture passage, Matthew chapter 4, comes on the heels of the temptation narrative of Jesus, where he was tempted by the devil to abandon his earthly mission in exchange for power and riches. His resistance and refusal to be swayed from God's will and plans showed not only his undeniable divinity, but also his readiness to face the challenges to his humanity that were about to come his way. The first of these challenges, as we'll find in verse 12, is that John the Baptist was incarcerated. Though this particular passage doesn't say why, other sources claim that John had been outspoken about both Herod's regime and his lifestyle, dangerous opinions to have, and even more so to say out loud. Jesus no doubt knew that this arrest will shortly be followed by John's execution and that his own timeline from ministry to arrest and execution would be just as imminent and would be just as swift. So upon hearing that John is in prison, Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Now this may have been a tactical retreat, Clearly, John's message had been controversial for the powers that be, and as we know, the message of Jesus would not be any more palatable to the same people. But we can safely infer that Jesus probably withdrew for another reason, to grieve. After all, John had danced for joy in his mother's womb at the news that their relative Mary would give birth to the Savior, Jesus. John's calling from even before the womb, as prophesied early on, was that he would be the one preparing the way for the Messiah, Jesus. He's the one who baptized people in the Jordan River to get them ready for God's Savior, who he personally baptized later. So John and Jesus were inextricably linked. So it's not hard to imagine that Jesus would have been deeply saddened by the news of John's capture. And so he took the time to deal with his impending loss before he did anything else. And as he recovered and came to terms with his grief, he did something else too. 
Jesus allowed the setback to inform his subsequent actions. John's imprisonment was just another example of what was wrong with the world. I mean, they did lock up an innocent man, which seemed to happen all too frequently, and it would happen to himself, ironically enough. And he could have just backed out of his mission completely at this point. I mean, what happened to John could very well, I mean, most definitely will happen to him as well. But he didn't forfeit in the wilderness, and he wouldn't do it now. Jesus would henceforth preach the message of hope, grace, and mercy. So as he began his ministry, the words he gave to anyone who would listen was verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And among the first to hear this message were some fishermen at the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew were casting a net into the lake when Jesus said to them in verse 19, Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. A short walk away, James and John, sons of Zebedee, also heed the call. These four men dropped what they were doing and immediately followed Jesus. We can't say for certain what caused them to take such drastic action. Maybe they were already over it with the whole fishing thing and were already looking for an out. Or maybe Jesus' reputation preceded him and they were excited about getting in on the ground floor of what would be a glorious revolution. Whatever the motivations, what matters is that they followed, leaving literally everything and everyone they knew behind. And if they were puzzled about what fishing for people meant at the time, they would soon learn that it had nothing to do with their expertise as anglers. Verses 23 to 24 reveal precisely what the ministry of Jesus entailed. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. What's more, the place where he began his work had been prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 2, and is reiterated here in Matthew chapter 4 verses 15 through 16. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. This is an interesting description of the way the ministry of Jesus surfaced. Because dawn is not an immediate process. Dawn describes the period of time between twilight and the sunrise when light is slowly seeping in through the darkness of night until it is fully considered morning. And the way we use it as a metaphorical expression, for example, it dawned on me, shows that we came to some sort of realization that had already been kind of lingering in our subconscious until something finally clicked. This process of dawning would describe so much in the life and ministry of Jesus. People wouldn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God right away. 
it would eventually dawn on them through personal experiences. Even his close friends and followers wouldn't recognize the truth until they had their different encounters. And the message of Jesus was even more elusive. He spoke in parables and in a circuitous fashion, a lot of which were diatribes against the powerful and the privileged, as well as misguided religious leaders who unwittingly participated in further oppression of the marginalized. But the way Jesus entered the scene and began his mission was timed out perfectly. Even as he distributed his time-release truth bombs that would all make greater sense when his death and resurrection would throw them into sharper relief. So, what kind of light is dawning on you today? Maybe we can discern that by learning what kind of impact the words of Jesus have on us when he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Maybe the nearness of the kingdom is dawning on you. Is it just me or when you hear the kingdom of God is near, do you imagine a bedraggled looking guy wearing a sandwich board shouting into a megaphone about the end times? Maybe it's just me because I grew up in LA where these guys were like on every other block and I wish I were exaggerating. But when Jesus spoke these words, he wasn't being an apocalyptic alarmist. It was actually a message of love. He was showing the people that God's rule would no longer be comprised of more rules to follow as it was widely understood at the time. And while his listeners seemed to have accepted the kingdom part of it quite literally and tried to rally around him as a revolutionary leader to their eventual dismay, Jesus was about to show them the kingdom of heaven would be accessible to them in the person of Jesus, that the kingdom was near because Jesus was near. So perhaps it's time you drew near to him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Maybe it's dawning on you that you've made the kingdom of heaven your own domain instead of God's. We've just talked about how the kingdom of heaven has been made accessible through Jesus and his acts on earth, and yet some of us have participated in making it less accessible than ever by placing that kingdom out of reach for people who we don't think qualify for kingdom citizenship. We forget that fishing for people is not a call to pick and choose who we want to include, but rather to cast a wide net so that all may be invited in. In practice, however, instead of welcoming and embracing, we've been all about isolating and judging. We say there's salvation for all kinds of sins for anyone who at least nominally identifies as a Christian, but we seek to condemn anyone who identifies as anything else. I mean, we've all witnessed this entire nation of supposedly God-fearing Christians turn a collective blind eye as hateful rhetoric spread and horrifying acts were committed in the name of Jesus, the very one who lived and died in defiance of the very same things. We've acted like gatekeepers or bouncers at the doors of the kingdom, rather than the gracious hosts we were called to be. So perhaps it's time to start. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven 
has come near. Or maybe you haven't gotten past the word repent, and it's dawning on you that you need to turn some things around in your life. After all, that's what the word repent means, right? To turn or to change. Maybe it's about turning away from old habits, haunts, and even humans that are destructive influences. Maybe you've been turning away from God because you've been disappointed or you've grown jaded. Or maybe you've just been stagnant and not choosing any which way because you're not sure where to pledge your allegiance. So maybe this message has been timely for you. And that, my friend, is not a coincidence. As we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. It's as if the author of this passage knew that all of these opposing experiences, birth, death, planting, uprooting, tearing down, building, mourning, dancing, are often not so far apart from each other. And while we live in the tension of both ends of these poles coexisting at times, and also not understanding why certain things are happening at a certain time and in a certain order, when we examine the early beginnings of the ministry of Jesus, we see that none of it was random. God made Jesus ready at just the right time, just as Jesus called his followers at just the right time, brought healing to those who were hurting at just the right time. And even though the light had already come into the world, the impact of what that means will dawn on all of us at just the right time. God is with us in every season we are in, shedding the light that we all so desperately need. And when the light finally dawns on you, take a moment to bask in that radiance. But also remember that the light signals the start of a new day, a new start, a new opportunity to now go out and reflect that light and shine it on others. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. So many times we sing out our gratitude for the work of atonement that was carried out on the cross, but when we focus only on Christ crucified, we forget that there is so much we have yet to learn from the life of Jesus. Jesus, you are more than a sacrifice. You are the one who brings the kingdom of heaven near to us. You show us the areas of our lives that require repentance, and often they're the parts of our lives we mistakenly believe we're doing right. Shine your light on us, and may your words finally dawn on us so that we may be a people who not only follow you, but join you in bringing the kingdom even nearer to those who are searching and hurting. Thank you for grieving with us in our times of loss for celebrating with us in times of victory, 
and for all the moments in between where you show us that in their precise and perfect time, you make all things beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen.